Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome to the Drive Time Show. And it's wonderful to be here today on a Tuesday and the date is the 1st of August. Some people might find that lucky, but we don't believe in luck. We only believe in God Almighty and what he says. Absolutely. But actually, I'm so pleased to be here with Shajil Ahmed on his regular slot on a Tuesday, but he's allowed me to join him today. Thank you very much, Shajil. <laughs> and, it's uh, a pleasure, yeah, it's a pleasure. I, I know, it's straight after our wonderful uh, annual convention that took place the, over the weekend. Yeah. And um, it's great for you to be you know, here, I mean, it was quite an impressive, amazing, thought-provoking and tenderness, I would say, event over the last week. And how is it for you? That's, I mean, that's how it is. That's how it is. It's very, very, very warm. It's a very, I mean, talking about the actual spiritual element uh, to it as well, not, not, not the weather. Not yeah. the weather. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, 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 very, it's very calm. It's very warm. It's very, very homely as well. Where you know you get to meet your you know your your uh, your family relatives, your friends, your family, all the, all the people that you haven't seen in a very long time, yeah. and people from around the world as well. I mean, what was it? Over a hundred different countries. Yeah. Um, I mean, people participated from a hundred different countries, yeah. and they came as well. Um, something like that. And yeah, no, yeah, it was uh, more than a hundred countries, as you rightly yeah. say, and we were expecting more than forty thousand people, and and there was more than forty thousand people. 40, 000, yeah. I think it, the final figure was just under forty-two thousand, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And also, Voice of Islam was there. We had, uh, there. packed ourselves up and moved there and presented there for li- from live, and we spoke to many of our guests who are very close to Voice of Islam Radio. Yeah, and it was great to listen to them, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's what it is, isn't it? It's 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 as His Holiness said in his uh, in his fri- in, in, in his Friday sermon hmm. because it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the three day event. He said that you know the, the main purpose of this is to increase your your spiritual um, element as well, your spiritual status, but also at the same time your 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 understanding of your religion and your morals as well. There's three basic things for you know the main purpose of the of the convention, and that's basically what it is. And you're listening to Voice of Islam, listening to all the speeches, the proceedings. That is basically what it's all about. It's not like. Uh, um, you know what you call it, a festival, or where you you know people come together and uh, they they enjoy a carnival, or they 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 come and they they listen to music, or they dance, or they have fireworks, or they have this and that. It's got nothing to do with um, any sort of worldly um, attribute. It hasn't yeah. got anything to do with that. It's specifically solely so that we can elevate our status, to understand our religion more, to to better our 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 moral conduct. Uh, as well in, in, yeah. in this way no I really like what you said because that kind of feeds into mm. our second topic of the hour where we will be talking uh, uh, about yeah. many of the aspects that, that relate to that and what we're going to be covering is the second condition of the nine conditions of initiation yeah. which also took place at the weekend as well as an yeah, international I mean, take, the take place it's, it's, I mean th- that is one of the parts of the annual convention as well that um, you know the the we, we have a pledge of allegiance, mm. and that pledge of allegiance was actually given to us by the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, and he was the the promised Messiah, the awaited Mahdi, peace be upon him as well, uh, upon whom be peace. And he, when he created or when he started the the mission of the Ahmadiyya movement, yep. right, he said that there are um, these ten conditions of birth. 
there's 10 conditions. Somebody wants to become part of the community. These are the 10 conditions. And in previous shows, we've spoken about the first condition. Yeah. We've spoken about the second, uh, the third condition as well. But the second condition is something that we're going to be speaking yeah. about today. But more of, more about that a little yeah. bit later on. So le- le- let's just let's just talk about uh, what we're going to be talking about in the first hour. But yes. as always, you know, you can get in touch with us in the, in the normal way by picking up the phone and calling zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and our technical team will be there to on hand to put you through and also if there's something that uh, you also want to talk about on our social media you can get in touch with us at voice of islam as well uh, voice of islam uk on twitter and, and and everything else as well related to those social media aspects and we will read out your tweets as we do and you are most welcome mm. to join us on today so in, in anticipation for the second hour we will be talking about something that is very dear to my heart especially and many people who feel that the world is kind of you know suffering a little bit and we need sufficient help to manage that through so we will be talking about plastics plastics is one of those things that have been infiltrating us for many years now and has made a massive effect on everything that we do so this is what we're talking about is microplastics and we're going to kind of understand that aspect a little bit more and talk to some fantastic guests who will be joining us looking forward to speaking to bethany clark dr bethany clark who is a seabird science officer at BirdLife International and understand the impacts of plastics on our wildlife. And also we'll be talking to Mitch Ratcliffe, who's the publisher and CEO of Earth 9-11. Really looking mm. forward to that. But, um, so Jill, there's some amazing statistics that really yeah. drill down and even double down on the particulars with uh, with plastic it comes that plastic is in our environment. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, according to according to the, the, the UN, right, yeah. we have about 500 times more plastic particles in our seas than stars in our galaxy. And that, that's something which is that's something which is quite quite interesting as well. I mean, that's what I mean, that's according to the UN, right? Every aspect of our lives seems to have some some sort of trace of uh, trace of plastic, whether it's water bottles that we drink out from, storage containers, um, even our food wrappers, and that's something that we see, you know, so much of. It seems like this problem is growing by by the minute, and maybe it's it's sort of getting out of control. But just talking about. Um, uh, beverages, right? Soft drinks. The soft drink industry is producing about 470, not million, billion yeah. plastic bottles every single year. That's 400, there's 470 billion plastic bottles every year. And not only is um, constant exposure to microplastics harmful to, to human veins, on, you know, to, to the human body, but also um, to animals and of course you know the earth that we live in which is so beautiful I mean when you wake up in the morning hmm. and then you analyze your life yeah. and you look at all the touch points that where do I touch plastic now and yeah. and by the time at the end of the day you go to sleep how many hundreds if not thousands yeah. of items that you've touched are made out of plastic hmm. So it just literally, shows you literally. how intrinsic. If you wake up in the morning, you start brushing your teeth, you know that there's plastic 
there everywhere everywhere yeah. you know the, the toothpaste itself or even what's in the actual paste itself from what it's been made mm. from mm. you turn your water on these days you don't know if there's um particles in there yeah, hopefully not hopefully but, not yeah, I mean, but this what is what we're going to find out and delve into a lot more and as mm. as our scientists get more and more uh into this and start developing and analyzing mm. where it is because it does come into the food chain through what we see with the fish the where the 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 fish in there getting by other bigger fish and fish we eat them and then yeah. we're seeing traces of it. it it is such a worrying thing so i think today it it's is, really it important is. that we we talk about this subject more so it it is it, sometimes you see that industries right they they try to um i mean yes good on them that they're trying to reduce plastics as yeah. much as possible and something which we have seen quite commonly is that they have a lot of restaurants they've gotten rid of uh plastic straws yeah right yeah. but one thing which is <laughs> it sometimes it baffles me as well is that you have that you've gotten rid of the plastic uh plastic straws right but the lid on top of that is still plastic yeah um there's other things i mean the whole glass is still plastic as well the the wrapping around the food yeah. that's still plastic so just getting rid of the straws and i know straws are very harmful and because the way that they go into the um to the water and yeah. the fish absorb them and yeah. all of that it is dangerous no doubt but there's so many plastics which are still there yeah. which we can sort of you know which we can change you know when i was looking into this subject today yeah. i was just thinking that it's not been that long since the proliferation of plastic has affected our lives yeah. if you think back to say before the first first world war or even the second world war mm. what we're seeing since then is a massive um explosion of mm. the use of plastic and what you're referring to there is that with the plastic straws that are now made out of uh, cardboard mm. they're like single use plastics and then the more and more we can get single rid of plastics. the single yeah, use yeah, yeah. plastics yeah, exactly. the better it is but if you imagine many years ago ones, isn't it? Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. right so so before all of that we mm. used to use different materials mm. to be able to do our normal day-to-day -day stuff like i mean if you know the instrument the piano you know the white kind of keys on there mm. that used to be made out of ivory right. right so that and there were other things as well that we made very common in ourselves like back in the day the rubber balls used to be played from natural resources from from the trees right mm. but what ended up happening is that as we grew the use of that rubber more and more we were then harming our natural environment so mm. we were affecting the tiger tusks we were uh, killing animals mm. to be able to get these kind of yeah. products for yeah. us yeah, yeah, so yeah. what did happen is that we started creating these objects through the use of plastic which meant that we would protect our wildlife and our animals in a way mm. but now what we're finding it's, today is the opposite is the it? complete opposite yeah, so we really need to really solve that problem so it, it, it is really issue i mean there is something that the holy grant mentions doesn't it about yeah. how we need to take care of our planet it does it does in chapter in chapter 22 verse 67 allah the almighty states and he it is who gave you life then he will cause you to die and he will give you life again surely man is most ungrateful yeah now that's you know it's something that we need to talk about and uh, talk you know talking about these microplastics mm. as well and how harmful they are. I mean the way that they got introduced, maybe at that time it was for it was for a noble cause you know to protect our wildlife just like you're saying. But yeah. now we find ourselves in a situation that 
it's very, very harmful to use these single-use plastics as well. And um, when we dispose of them, because obviously they are disposable, once you use them once, you can't use them, that's the whole point. Once you get rid of them, that is where the harm comes in. And that's something that we need to sort of tackle as well. I mean, different things that we can change. Sometimes there are people who carry, if they go out to, you know, to a restaurant or whatever, they carry with themselves a a a a, a metal straw. Yeah. Right? They keep it in their pockets. Yeah. And then if they wanna, you know, if they wanna go out, you know, to a restaurant, they just use that. They just out of their pockets and they, they use that instead of asking for for a plastic for yeah. a plastic straw. I think that we will probably, as scientists, start discovering. Hmm the harmful effects of these micro uh, plastics, plastics and, yeah. and these micro plastics are things that uh, you to the point um, you could see with the naked eye but over time mm. every day with the rain with the hard sunshine yeah. it kind of erodes the plastic into to such tiny, tiny molecules yeah that we don't see Can't them. Can't see it with the naked eye. No, you don't. Yeah. And then they could be in the air as we breathe them, and then they can come into our lungs. And then we don't know those hundreds of billions or trillions of tiny, tiny microplastics. Mm. Are they actually affecting us? We don't actually know that 100%, mm. but we do know that if you saw the plastic you're chewing on and eating it, how can it yeah. really be helpful? How can, how can it be helpful? Yeah. Because if you look at sometimes, you know, in the different oceans, I don't know if you remember, we used to mm. get milk delivered to our homes right, back in yeah. the day, and it used to come in milk crates. Yeah. So every other day, the milkman would turn up with a bottle with mm. milk, and he'd put it in a crate. Early in the morning. Early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Now, these crates, after so many years, are being discovered in the oceans, right. and they're still intact. Yeah, they're still the w same as it is. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. So then they haven't eroded. Ex yeah, so, so th yeah. I think that's the issue there, is that although plastic has been fantastic for us because it's allowed us it, basically what it allowed us to do was to have things that were cheaper to manufacture mm. so more people could have them mm. so back in the day before the ability to mold plastic there were things that were not available because they were very expensive yeah. so when the scientists kind of developed it in their mindset they said well great you know more people can have all of this imagine mm. playing with lego uh, and all right. these things yeah. and using the kids imagination mm. but i think we have a responsibility like you said earlier what it says in the holy mm. ground that we have a responsibility don't yeah. we yeah so we really need to work through that so i don't know i mean i've kind of given a bit of an insight but there are some definitions of what microplastics are yeah yeah so according to the national geographic microplastics are, are tiny plastic particles that result from both commercial product development yeah. and the the you know the, the breakdown of larger plastics as yeah. well. Um, but the thing is, is that this is a huge problem for for uh, for other for for the other creatures of God as well. Um, in addition to human beings, when it's been misused or when we need to dispose of it, such so like you know something that we're talking about right now as well. It's not it's not just something that. What you what you just said earlier on that if we eat a fish that has got microplastics that has sort of inhaled it or taken yeah. it inside, weighing that fish as well, which That's has right. got it inside yeah. that as well. Yeah. So it's it's like it's not just affecting us; it's affecting the animals, it's affecting the plants, it's affecting the the the, the sea life, world, the wildlife, 
even bird life you know and and then of course it's not just affecting the creatures but it's affecting the plants yeah. as well whether they're you know whether they're on human soil whether they're underground uh, you know in, in the water as well so the, the the really sad thing is is that if you were an animal not saying that we understand it but they're hungry and they see an object in the sea, mm. they mistakenly see a plastic bag or some plastic thing as food. Mm. So they eat it, but they can't digest it, so it just sits in their stomach, mm. not digesting. Yeah. So then they feel maybe they're not that hungry because their stomach's still got something in it. Yeah. Then they die. Yeah. And then when um, scientists see these animals, they, they open them up, there's all this plastic inside them. Yeah. So we are destroying fabric of not only of our society but the fabric of uh, the wildlife community because in the holy grind it talks about mm. the, the 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 state of how communities of animals are isn't it absolutely absolutely in the holy grind it says in chapter 6 verse 39 yeah that says that there there is not an animal that crawls in the earth nor a bird that flies on its two wings but they are communities like you we have left out nothing in the book. Then to their Lord shall they be gathered together. Yeah. It just goes in line what you were saying as well, yeah. that there are communities. I mean, yes, we have a human being community, such as, you know, uh, our societies, the way that we live, or, or the places that we live in, but the countries that we live in, the states that we live in, but there's communities in the animal kingdom as well. And we need, it's our responsibility to take care of them as well. Because in another place in the Holy Quran, Allah Almighty says that mm. we have been given or we have been born into the world, into this earth, as custodians, yeah. as guardians. Yeah. So as a guardian, it's our, it's our duty, isn't it, to, to take care of our subordinates, take care of those people and those things, those creatures, those animals, those plants, which are under our, our protection. That's sort of what we need to do. And that's one of the main things about religion one is to fulfill the rights of God hmm. and the other is to fulfill the rights of mankind the creation and if we're not fulfilling the rights of the creation then the, you know then then we're not doing our job properly isn't it I, I agree with you and, it, and it's something that we should really take heed to and sometimes there's a Absolutely. bit of a culture for pets you know not to have pets and hmm. and things like that you know many hmm. people frown on on having a dog for a pet or a cat for a pet or some people have fish, don't they? Or yeah, yeah. some people have um, lizards that don't require anything. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, some, some children are allergic to the hairs of animals. So That's what true. do they yeah. have? They have yeah. fish as pets. But you know, having some sort of animals like a guinea pig as a childhood mm. thing, like you, start whatever, yeah. Then yeah. You, then you start respecting. Then you start respecting the, the community. And many, many times, I suppose, I'm sure it was yourself as well, early in the morning, the bit of food that was left over from the night before, you would see your parents go out in the morning and leave it out in the garden for the birds mm. to eat, right? Mm. Yeah. Well, isn't that something that uh, would, would happen? So at young childhood, we're, we're kind of taught that, aren't we? Mm. It is, it is, because once you become accustomed to something, once you become accustomed to something, that is when you sort of, uh, you know, become more familiar with them as well. And when you become more familiar with them, with the country, with the, you know, with the animals and uh, in the wildlife as well, then you will become, uh, you would want to take care of them even more so. Obviously, if you... You know, if you haven't been exposed to any sort of animal, you wouldn't even know what the, what their requirements are. But if you are, then you would obviously understand them better. You would understand the animals better. You would understand 
how they how they need to eat, what they need to eat, what time they need to eat, what are the things that they can eat, what are the things that they can't eat, all the th- different things which are which are you know connected to that, and that's why it's imp- that's why it's imp- that's why it's very it's very important. And God Almighty has also stated the the similarities between human beings and other yeah. uh, you know the creatures uh, of of God Almighty as well, such as animals and birds and plants as well. And in Islam. This world is um, is repeatedly labelled as temporary, and the permanent abode is that of the hereafter. And that's something that we're told very much so, and for which you know the the, the that is something which um, which you know which we're told at a large scale as well. And this is why we need to take care of these animals, the plants, the mm. birds, the the creatures, as well as the different human beings as well. Do you need to dwell on that? A little bit more for our listeners you know why do we say that this is temporary i mean look most people are living longer right mm. many years ago people used to live on average because of various reasons yeah. uh to the age of say 40 50 or, or our children in mm. this united kingdom used to go up the chimneys and take out all the soot and those children were dying very young mm. well some now living much longer into the 80s and 90s but that's quite a long life but it's still temporary what, what does it mean when you say temporary does that mean there is when we leave this world there's something else yeah exactly exactly that so yeah it is six articles of faith right and one of those articles of faith is that we believe in the hereafter and why that's so important is because when we believe that there is a hereafter when we believe that there is going to be another life which is going to be the permanent life right this life that we're living in right now on earth this is a temporary life that's what we're told in the holy quran and by the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And we're told that whatever we're doing in this world, we will be accountable for it, whether we did good things, whether we did bad things in the hereafter. So if we did good things, God Almighty will bless us. If mm. we did bad things, he, he, you know, he, he can punish us if he wants to. He can forgive us if he wants to as well. So it's all, it's all up to him. But if we pass, so basically it's a test, you can say. It's a test. This, this, this whole world is a test. It's a trial. And if we pass in that test, if we have, you know, struggle, you go through and struggle hard mm. and uh, we, you know, for, just like I mentioned before, there's two rights that we need to take care of. One is to fulfill the rights of God, which is basically to, to, to pray to him, to worship him, to listen to his commandments, to yeah. obey his commandments. But at the other time, on the, on the other hand, and at the same time, um, we need to fulfill the rights of mankind. Yeah. No, yeah, it makes a lot. That's lot. that's what that's what it means. So, so, someone described it to me as well. In, yeah. in in this world, you know, when if you're a gardener, every season you plant uh, you, you pl- plant seed and, and the rose bush grows grows, and every season that rose has the most beautiful flower you can imagine, mm. and then it ends its life and it and it goes, and then again the next season but in its moment that's effectively its whole life yeah but we as humans see it every year for many 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 years Mm. and i think this permanent abode that you're referring to is like it's temporary for us although we feel it's like a maybe 40 50 100 years Mm. but actually the hereafter it's gonna be probably i don't know a billion years can't even imagine So everything you do good today. So this thing about, you know, we're just bringing it back to um, the particle issue, yeah, what yeah, we're yeah, doing. Yeah. But but I w- there was this narration 
which I wanted to narrate. Right. Um, I, I'm sure many of us have heard that story before, and it's in so many different um, connotations. But I, I wanted to just quickly say this because in, in the narration it was stated that Abu Huraira uh, reported that the Messenger of Allah, Hazrat, um, Hazrat Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He said this, that one day a man became really thirsty while he was walking down the road and right. he came across a well and then he went into it and then he he drank he drank it. So he went down and then he drank loads and loads of water and then he climbed out. Mm. And as he climbed out, he found that there was a, a dog and it was panting. You know when a dog pants, yeah. his tongue is yeah. hanging out and you can just yeah. tell just it's tell so yeah. thirsty. And, he's a, he's a, so, and it was so thirsty that it was like eating the dust out of thirst right mm. so the man said to himself well well this dog is as thirsty as i was mm. so seeing that he went back down into the well and filled his shoe mm. putting it into his mouth so that he could climb he could up climb like you up, know yeah. you have a big shoe loads of water i thank god he's had a shoe not sandals but at that moment he had mm. shoes yeah. right? so then he came out and then he put in his mouth he came up and then he gave the dog that water and therefore, at that moment, God Almighty thanked him and forgave him. Mm. And they said that the Messenger of Allah will have a reward on the account of animals. And he said that this, there is a reward on the account of every living thing. Mm. Right. So, yeah. um, and that was in Sahih Al uh, Albani. So there was uh, the second part of that, which uh, where Abu Harir uh, made this narration. I mean, isn't isn't that such a beautiful thing? Is, beautiful thing how yeah, God Almighty has towards animals and how we can be rewarded from that service. Exactly, exactly, and it, it, it is something that you know that that we we need to reiterate uh, more so uh, as well. You know, taking care of the animals. Yeah. So so we we will we will develop this subject a lot more, Sajil. You know, when yeah. we start talking about the other side of things, but we've been kind of talking quite a lot about the animal life and understanding how the the, the micro, uh, micro plastic is getting into the food chain and how animals are a community but we wanted to talk to dr bethany clark um and who is a seabird science officer at bird life international and also a bird mm. conservation organization that works through a partnership of over 100 organizations around the world so i'd like to welcome dr bethany Clark to our program. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Um, hello. Uh, thank you for having me to talk about this issue. No, I, uh, you know it's it's wonderful for you to be here. Uh, I've got a couple of questions, and then Sajil's got about three after me because we've been really looking forward to talking to you. I mean, my first question is: is why would identifying at risk species and populations be so crucial? So what we know is that a lot of individual wild animals have been unfortunately injured and killed by plastic but we also know it's a relatively new issue for marine diversity across the whole of history yep. and there's a lot of things that we don't know so in in order for us to effectively target our limited resources that we have for conservation and research it's important that we choose the right species and populations um, and identify those so that we can we can work to conserve them and work to understand more about this issue that we're facing now with plastic pollution. It's so interesting that you talk about it 
as a relatively new phenomena because my life, all I've known is plastic, really. But actually, not so long before the Second World War, we used to use a lot of natural products, didn't we? And so it's been an explosion for the last, what, 50, 75 years, isn't it? Yes, definitely. It's um, had a massive increase. And for even for the lifetime of some of the birds that we research, it's... Um, it's it's a sh- it's a short amount of time compared to evolutionary time or the hundreds of years that humans have been uh, using the oceans for fishing and and all the other kind of things we depend the ocean on. Um, for for plastic, it's some there's some albatrosses alive today that will uh, have been hatched out in a time when plastic wasn't an issue. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, so so my second question to you is, with the work that you're doing, it's so important to identify where wildlife kind of encounters plastic for the first time. Obviously, we've got an idea clearly that in the sea, plastic ends up there, these micro uh, plastics, because the, the runoff of water eventually goes into the canals, the rivers, and eventually goes out to the oceans. And we know that's kind of easy to understand, but I'm a bit confused as to how our normal wildlife in the forest and like, like that enter plastic. So plastic can travel in a number of different ways. Um, it can be blown around in the wind. It can travel in, in the rivers. And um, one of the main concerns we have is once it reaches the ocean, there's no barriers. So ocean currents can take plastic all the way across um, from one hemisphere to another. And these long-term ocean currents will gather the plastic into these um, spinning currents called gyres. Yeah. There's one in the North Pacific called the Pacific Garbage Patch, which is quite famous. Yeah. And the issue with this is that plastic waste that we produce in one place can end up entirely um, separate from from where that that was um, causing issues to the local communities and the local wildlife. Uh, sometimes in really remote communities, really remote locations, and um, the plastic waste was never generated in those locations. So we really need the sort of international collaboration to fix the problem in a in a fair way, rather than just where the plastic ends up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. Clark, um, how does plastic digestion uh, affect different species? So there's a number of impacts that it can have. Um, firstly, um, if we're talking about large pieces of plastic, if the pieces are hard or sharp. Um, like a plastic box, for example, that's been broken into pieces or a crate, then this can cause an injury inside the gut, which can injure or kill the animals. If the plastic instead is more flexible, like a plastic bags or balloons, this can block up the gut, which if the animal can't clear it, they can eventually starve. Mm. Then when we move down into the smaller pieces of plastic, uh, including microplastics, um, this, this material can absorb lots of toxins that have um, arrived in the ocean from other pollution and um, all kinds of different toxic chemicals are, are absorbed into the plastic. Mm-hmm. And then once the animal has eaten it, those toxic, toxic chemicals are then released into the animal and that can poison them. And then the last thing is that with, once you've eaten the plastic, if the plastic is small enough, these really tiny microplastics, they can cause inflammation and scarring to the gut um, so actually damaging the internal organs of the birds um, just from the presence of the plastic 
Mm-hmm. And finally, we've got a risk of um, even before the animal might have eaten the plastic, mm. it can become entangled. So particularly with um, things like plastic ropes, old fishing nets and lines, um, the animals can become all tangled up and then um, then become drowned. So unfortunately, there's a lot of different ways in which the plastic can, can damage our, our wildlife. Yeah. Um are there, are there any species that are sensitive um, to plastic pollution? Uh, yes, so not all species um, suffer too much when they eat the plastic, but particular species do. So mm. um, petrels are the species that we're most concerned about in, in my team at, at BirdLife International because they're um, very sensitive to ingesting it and they don't um, manage to expel the plastic very easily except for when they're feeding their chicks. Unfortunately, they then feed the plastic to their chicks. These these birds are very threatened overall. Um, they travel really far out to sea, so they'll cover the entire oceans. Um, they're kind of smaller versions of albatrosses, but they're very mysterious. Um, they quite often only return to the land at night, so most people will we'll never have the pleasure of, of seeing one. Mm. So it's that kind of out of sight, out of mind issue for the petrels. Right. But there's other species that are a lot more well-known that also suffer, um, including the sea turtles, dolphins and whales, um, and fish and invertebrates as well. Now, uh, talking about these different species as well, how, how do they, how do they, you know, get, how do they get affected? Um, so much and how does that affect the health of our of our oceans at large so with the um the smaller plastics and some of the medium-sized plastics uh, many of the very tiny organisms at the right at the base of the marine food web will eat them including crustaceans and corals and small fish and then if these fish are eaten by larger animals that plastic will then be transferred um, including the fish that, that we eat, um, that humans eat around the world. So we know that a lot of the individuals of these species have been affected, but we don't know so much about how this links to the larger impacts on the marine ecology as a whole. So we really need to be researching this um, in order to find out. And one of the things we can do with this research is use these large um larger marine animals that travel long distances including the seabirds they're really good sentinels for the health of our oceans so we were able to study the entire globe in in our research because the seabirds can travel thousands of kilometers migrate around the globe and researchers from over 20 different countries have been attaching miniature electronic tracking devices to the birds um, releasing them out into the ocean and then it, we're able to find out where they go um, covering these vast areas that that researchers would never have been able to actually travel to them themselves and observe them so it's um, it's important we can use the information from these birds about the health of our ocean and then we should be look, yeah. looking to conserve them for their own sake but also because they're only important indicators for us and how we view the health of the oceans and we've got to remember that marine biodiversity is also affected by climate change and fishing and shipping and oil oh, pollution yeah. and other types of pollution so it's really important that we we make oceans stay healthy and this is one of the many 
many threats that that marine wildlife is facing. Yeah, no, I mean, you've just touched on another subject that we talk about, like the climate change and how that that affects so many aspects of of our lives. But today we're talking about microplastics and you've really explained it brilliantly. And you did mention about the garbage patches and that's a really interesting thing these these birds do they actually go and fly to some of these garbage patches and and just go and munch on all the plastic that's there and you know just don't know what they're eating yes they do and a lot of these birds um they're they're kind of supreme flyers they live in very remote areas and they will travel many hundreds of kilometers just for a single meal so if they pick up plastic instead of of fish and then they fly back to the chick waiting at home and it's uh, it's plastic and not food then it's, it's quite devastating for them so they do really fly um yeah very very long distances to okay these, well these places. yeah no uh, dr bethany clark thank you very much for your time and, and as we no develop this subject and talk more about it you know we really hope you'll join us again then yes no problem Oh, thank you very much. So that was uh, Dr. Bethany Clark, his, who is a seabird science officer and bird life in, at International, a bird conservationist organisation that works through the partnership of over 100 organisations around the world, which is fantastic mm. and so, such great insight. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we said we'll move the conversation on, on a little bit as well. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, because we've done about the bird lives, thing, but we do have responsibility, don't we, for to look after this earth right yeah, absolutely absolutely and it's our duty uh, as we've spoken about during you know during the course of the show as well trying to trying to reduce the the amount of plastic that yeah. we use as much as possible and it's, it's good that you know one thing that we can actually relate to um the you know what we what we spoke about right in the beginning of the show the annual convention oh right? god yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> we spoke about that as well and the way in which um, the annual convention is actually um, uh, the way it actually takes place is that we try to minimize or minimize sorry the the amount of plastic use as much as possible. So where we have because there's you know just like you said there's just over forty thousand people that actually attended. We you know we everyone needs to eat right everyone needs to eat and instead of giving plastic plates and plastic glass wood, uh, you know glasses and cups all of these cups and, and everything yeah. etc we use these you know the the the, the other ones the the, the yeah, cardboard, like cardboard the cardboard and the paper yeah. ones yeah paper so, ones so yeah. you know just to re- reduce the amount of plastic as much as possible as well isn't it is uh, what we were talking about as well the the, lit- uh, the the kitchens which are on site yeah that's right so it's a, one we don't have yeah. to bring food in from, anywhere. Food in from anywhere it's all yeah. cooked on site yeah. we um we have our own pizza bread uh, yeah. manufacturing type yeah, plant to serve yeah. yeah but if you imagine like above 40,000 people yeah. feeding breakfast lunch yeah. and dinner and dinner yeah and say at each one of them they'll have one naan for example for example maybe yeah. like you and I probably <laughs> like, have three, or four. <laughs> three or four yeah because <laughs> exactly, they are exactly, so tasty yeah, exactly. and you multiply that by the number of people that come yeah and stay that's quite a lot that's quite so a lot. That's quite we're, a lot. we're saving uh, we're saving the planet in that way we're very resourceful mm. and uh, and all the waste gets uh, um, disposed of appropriately yeah and obviously down with the transport as well people stay yeah. Yeah, they don't go. Business. They're exactly. not going back, coming back. Uh, accommodation is provided, you know, and it's a wonderful thing. So it, it is, although it's a, 
a spiritual event, mm. very much so, like you said, mm. but also it's partly material. I mean, it's, because it's part of the, the, yeah. I mean, that's part of uh, the the whole religious aspect of it as well, isn't it? Yeah. To, to take care of the environment. It's not just something. I mean, yes, we do need to take care of the environment because, you know, because of uh, glo- global warming or climate change. Um, but the duty that we have on our shoulders is much more than just than just you know you know than than just that. Is a whole scope. It's a whole spectrum of things that we need to take care of, and that's part of those things as well. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll delve into in a lot more detail yeah. because just before we end the show, we will be uh, t- uh, taking a quote and also uh, explaining what His Holiness Hazrat Masood Ahmed, may God be his helper, yeah. spoke about on September the 12th about this responsibility we have. But before that, we just wanted to talk to uh, Mitch Ratcliffe, who's the publisher and the CEO of Earth 9-11 and is a veteran technology journalist who covered the rise of digital communication starting in the late 1980s. Sustainability has always been his, his passion and we speak freely and acknowledges his record. Far from perfect, but... He's like all of us. We're all learning and trying to improve the relationship that we have with the environment. So thank you very much uh, for joining us today, Mitch Ratcliffe. And you are most welcome uh, to talk to myself and Ethan Sajil Ahmed. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and honor. No, you're most welcome. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll, I'll ask the first question and then Sajil's got like quite a few and then we'll just have a little chat after that. But um there are two things that you mainly talk about and um, and two main sources of microplastics. Can you identify them? Because we always hear about microplastic. They're, they're in the air, they're in the water, they're, they're in, in, in the streets. But actually, we're learning about more, aren't we? The tyres that are on the... On on the cars, for example, their friction when they accelerate, they've been creating even more microplastics. It's it's quite a bit mind-boggling. But could you just explain to us about the main sources of this microplastics? Sure. There there are two kinds. One you would describe as primary sources, and these are things that are actually made of plastic and and designed to be very tiny, like the microbeads in cosmetics or the fibers that make up our clothes, uh, polyester clothing or other petroleum-based clothing, shed these, these fibers every time you wash them and, or when you hang them out to dry. So those are the ones that, that we've made to be small and get into the environment. Then there's secondary sources, which is all the bigger things made of plastic, fishing nets, plastic bags, straws, yeah. and things like that, that break down into microplastics and then reach the environment. So we need to think about using less of the micro uh, beads and the like in order to reduce our impact and rethink our use of these bigger forms of plastic because they do contribute to pollution. Interesting, interesting. Um, what is one of the most common sources of microplastics yeah, yeah. In, our, in our day-to-day lives? You know, uh, one of the most important ones to recognize is bottled water. Uh, the bottles that the water is in shed plastic into the water. And so we estimate, uh, or research estimates, that people consume about 90,000 plastic particles a year just by drinking bottled water. Yeah. But another one, and this is research that just came out in the last week, uh, is microwaving food in plastic containers. The University mm. of Nebraska just found that if you microwave food for three minutes in a plastic container, as many as 4 million microplastic particles and as many as 2 billion nanoplastic particles 
per square centimeter of the plastic can be shed into the food. Wow. wow. That's a warning to everyone that's who drinks plastic, yeah. water from plastic bottles. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, what, what, what is the effect of the, the, the floorings of, of our homes uh, on, you know, on, on our microplastic uh, exposure as well? Well, you know, we, if you use linoleum uh, flooring in your home, uh, when your kids uh, walk or crawl on it, it gets on their hands and their feet, your pets as well. And, and, you know, we know kids put their hands in their mouth. Pets lick their feet. Hmm. And so the plastic is transferred into the gut. And once it gets into the gut, it can interfere with the uh, processing of, of, of food. It can interact with cells or, or with other uh, things in your biome to actually cause disease and illness. Hmm. Yeah, um, so obviously there are, we need to keep hygiene at a at a good level, at a good level as well. Um, as as sea creatures are also affected by this as well, is seafood uh, a source of exposure for us as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, microplastics have been found at every level of the food chain in the ocean. So uh, essentially, almost everything tested that you pull out of the ocean, whether it's a clam, uh, lobster. Uh, a mackerel or an anchovy or a tuna uh, contains microplastic today. And uh, what happens is the smaller uh, life forms consume the plastic inadvertently as they're eating. And that can go all the way down to the krill, the tiny uh, crustaceans that uh, whales feed on, eating this stuff. It gets into their body. Their bodies get eaten by another fish, and it just moves up the food chain until it ultimately reaches the top, whether that's sharks or tuna or us who consume the seafood we take from the ocean. Tuna is probably the most eaten fish um, in this world, and chicken also. Mm -hmm. And and is chicken and tuna suffering from the same thing, microplastics? Well, there is microplastic in virtually every form of life now because we've uh, propagated so much of this. You know, in terms of the oceans, just thinking about that, there's an estimate there will be more uh, plastic pollution in the ocean than there is volume of fish by 2050. And we need to be changing the way we use plastics entirely in order to prevent that type of pollution from uh, overwhelming the food chains that we rely on. Uh, now, chicken uh, can get that uh, from any number of sources. Mm. The bags in which chicken feed is delivered to a farm can uh, pollute the, uh, the, the feed with uh, microplastics. Mm-hmm. It's such a worrying thing. I mean, it's, it's like with all these things, is that with climate change, we knew it's happening. We mm. know it's there. Uh, the UN Secretary General said that uh, Europe is not global warming, but it's a uh, uh, global firing or burning. It's, it's got to a point. Do you think this is going to be the same thing, that we know that it's a problem, but we're not? we're ignoring it? Well, we certainly have a habit as a species of doing that. Look what we did with smoking and, and uh, the impact of, of air pollution yeah. until we made this. And, and we do know that once we decide to, as a society, regulate these materials, we can make a, a difference. You know, For instance, the Montreal Protocol back in the 80s reduced the use of chlorofluorocarbons, okay. which was degraded the ozone layer. Hmm. And we actually started to close that hole. So yeah. I, not that I, you know, it's... It's not that I believe we should just hope for the best, but we do need to make some decisions to change how we regulate the production, the collection, and recycling of plastic in order to reduce the uh, how much of it reaches the environment. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, there's this thing about utensils, isn't it? I mean, 
Before mm -hmm. plastic forks and knives and plates and all that sort of stuff, we used to have them made out of wood. I mean, what yep. are what are the kind of like the alternatives to our cooking utensils? You know, in, in order to reduce the exposure, because would you find microplastics in a wooden spoon? Uh, if it was wrapped in a piece of plastic, you might very well, but generally, <laughs> you couldn't. Uh, and, and the weird thing is today, of course, we, we'll, we'll give you a, a wooden spoon in a, in a plastic bag, which makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. But, That's, yeah. but you know, there's a lot of ways to avoid uh, exposing yourself to this. So choose steel utensils if you're cooking. Uh, microwave and glass uh, or in, in porcelain, something that will not shed material into the food as you heat it. Hmm. Uh, one of the things that I, I point out to a lot of folks is uh, avoiding uh, synthetic tea bags, which are a huge source of, of microplastics in our diet. So choose a natural fiber tea bag, and that's a great way to avoid exposing yourself. Wow. I mean, do you, I remember that whole thing with Teflon. Uh, mm -hmm. that we used to have without the hardened our pans and pots. We realized that was carcinogenic in the end. We, we just, mm. just don't know anything, do we, really? What mm. we think is right today is wrong for tomorrow. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very but true. Life is a process of discovery, and unfortunately we tend to discover materials and then learn later what they actually do to us. You know, I, I, I use uh, cast iron pans. Uh, they're good for you. They add iron to the food you're eating. Yeah, it takes a little longer to scrub it, but you're not getting that nonstick material in your food, and yeah. that nonstick material is full of plastic. Yeah, we, we have them in our household, and however much I agree with you, but we're cleaning a fried egg <laughs> of that iron pad you get it wrong and you don't take it off soon enough. You, you spend a lot of time cleaning it, but yeah, I mm. totally understand where you're coming from. But so, it, yeah, go ahead. It's learning, it's learning to be sustainable and efficient. And one of the things that the, the, the throwaway, the take-make-waste society that we've built so far has taught us is to be very wasteful and inattentive to things like how you take care of that egg and how you take care of the pans that you're going to use to cook that egg every morning. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're so right. I wish we had more time to talk to you. It's so interesting. I mean, we've had yourself and we've had Bethany, Dr. Bethany. I mean, it's just been so fascinating. Uh, so, you know, we're coming at the top of the hour, Mitch. Um, so we'll have to just call it there. And hopefully you'll join us again when we pick up this subject. I'd be pleased to. And if anybody's interested in learning more, please uh, visit earth911.com. Fantastic. I don't need to say it because I was <laughs> going to say it, Mitch. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time there. Uh, that thank was Mitch. You. You're welcome. That that was uh, Mitch Ratcliffe, publisher of CEO of Earth 9-11. And has he said, yes, please visit the website if you want to know more. Uh, uh, so, Jill, it's so fascinating. Mm. We've we've covered like two aspects now, right? We, we've understood the wildlife, how important it is and our responsibility. And also we're kind of covering a little bit about the Earth you know and and how important it, it is as well hmm. and we may not think that it's important but our spiritual leader Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed who is the head of our worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community who's the, yeah. who's the fifth current yeah. caliph yeah. he has always drawn our attention to looking after to looking people after the, the earth the environment exactly. all the time right exactly exactly in different occasions he's 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 advised um, different things and what we can actually do, proactive things uh, as well. Um, one aspect of our lives um, 
is that microplastics, they contaminate um, the air that we breathe in. And we've spoken about that during the course of the show. So we've spoken about that with, with both of our guests as well. Mm. Now, so a solution to this problem was described by His Holiness, just like you mentioned, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, is the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace. He, say, he stated that on one occasion that where we plant physical trees to beautify and clean the environment and bear fruit, we also plant spiritual trees that yield fruit of love and humanity. Hence, we always seek to treat our neighbours and those around us with compassion and we endeavour to fulfil their rights in every possible way. Um, it's, it's, it's important, it's important that, we, that we do this because there's a, there's a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He said that you should like for your brother or you should love for your brother what you love for yourself or yeah. you want for yourself as well. And obviously you would want to be eating healthy. You would want to be eating clean. You would want to breathe clean air. Um, you don't want to be in a place where you know, which is contaminated, in a filthy, in a dirty place, um, you know, where there's a lot of different organisms that you don't even know, of you know, microorganisms, microplastics, or whatever it may be. Um, so obviously, if you want, if you want that for yourself, mm. you would, you should want that for. You should treat other people the same way as well. And this is where hygiene comes in as well. If you just, you know, if you have a plastic bottle, if you have some sort of plastic, and you just you know, if you just throw it on the floor, you just litter and, and you know, don't really dispose of it properly, then that can be very harmful. And for us to be hygienic in a way that, you know, if we see any sort of uh, sort of um, something which is a hindrance, right, yeah. for, for our fellow human beings, we should try to alleviate their, their problems as well. We should reuse, recycle as much as possible as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, m many local authorities have, mm. have implemented schemes where you now separate your plastics. Separate the plastics and, and your the other tin cans and, all of and that. then yeah. your cardboards and the other. But also, but you know, just talking about re recycling as well, yeah. it's important that we do it properly. You know what I mean? You know, sometimes we just have, you know, a, a ketchup sort of container and just throw it in the plastic bin. Yeah. But you're supposed to clean that first, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Also, some things cannot be recycled. <laughs> so you just need to know. Yeah, but yeah, I'm really exactly. interested. We really are at the top of the hour. But I really want you to just explain this to our listeners a little bit more. When His Holiness, Hazrat Masur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, talks about planting spiritual trees and, and the mm. yield. Yeah. I, I get the idea that you plant the tree and you give the fruit to your neighbours but it's a lot deeper than that isn't it yeah I mean yeah I mean one says that you know you you plant the trees and you you harvest them and you you know you grow them and make and if they bear any sort of fruit you can give other people that fruit as well so it's not just that you benefit from it yourselves you you try to benefit other people uh, also at the same time you know there's a narration of the Holy Prophet peace yeah. and blessings of Allah be upon him that there are three types of people the first type of people is that there's a, he 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 described it. He described people as as a soil, as soil, right? So there's one soil which you can put a seed in that, or put seeds in that, and that grows. It grows into a tree, and that tree bears fruit. So that so you benefit from that, and other people benefit from that. There's another type of soil where you know um, you can't you can't grow anything there, but it's sort of made in a way that when it rains, then it gathers all of the all of the water, and all the animals can drink from that water yeah. as well. So that's the second type of people. And the third type of people is, he described that as that land, that soil, which is barren. 
you try to plant uh, seeds in it as much as possible but you can't it doesn't grow anything because it's a barren land and he said that you should try to be like the first type of soil which you know which you can plant uh, trees in that you can plant animal uh, uh, sorry not animals but you can plant you know uh, uh, yeah, plants in that seeds yeah, yeah, in that yeah. and then that you know you benefit from that and also you benefit from the fruits yeah. uh, that, that, that it bears as well Okay, well, fantastic. So, you know, we've come to the top of the hour. I hope we managed to do some justice uh, to this subject. Yes. But it is really, really worrying because now you realise that plastics and particles, is, yeah, yeah, they're in they're in, they're in every aspect of our lives. You know, when you get mm. in the morning, you, you, you pick up the phone, you make a phone call, you do something, it's all there in your mm. life. And, and whatever we do, we've got to make sure that we... Um, as human beings, uh, take God's creations to be better, not to harm them and not to even harm ourselves as yeah. well. And obviously we need to respect this beautiful earth that God Almighty has given it and God has made us the custodians Custodian. of this. Exactly. And like you said in that beautiful Hadith as mm-hmm. well, and I think it's really important that we understand that. And that you also mentioned as well that you know we have to fulfill the rights of God and all, all of his creations. And I think that's kind of really important to kind of summarize it. And I'll just end by saying that his holiness has yeah. a Ahmed, may Allah be his helper state that certainly striving to protect the environment and to look after our planet is an extremely precious and noble cause. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, you, you can't really say much more than that, can you, I if mean, you just that, take yeah. it? Literally, that just, you know, sort of concludes what we were talking about as well. I mean, that is a noble cause. And just like we've been saying we've been saying this throughout the course of the show as well, that there's two sides of religion. One yeah. is to fulfill the rights of God and one is to fulfill the rights of mankind. And this is exactly what we need to do in this uh, day and age as well. Fulfill the rights of mankind in whichever way which is possible. Um, join us after the news. Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome to the Drive Time Show. It's uh, a great pleasure that you tuned in from around the world to be with us and you are most welcome as always to take part and get in touch with us in the normal way on 0208-687-7878 where we'll be most welcome to join you. Asalaamu Alaikum, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. I'm Hanif Khan and I'm with my fellow colleague Sajil Ahmed who is it's a pleasure just to be with you because I this is I think one of the first times actually we managed to do a show together, right? Right in the beginning, we did a few, yeah, did a few yeah, shows yeah, as yeah, well, yeah. but it's been a very yeah. long time. It's been a few years actually. It, 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 really it has, and, I'm, and I've been really enjoying myself as well. We we just had a fantastic subject where we were talking about microplastics mm. and how it is our responsibility to look after the planet, yeah, and as it's a right of uh, us for for not only the animals but also for humans to to look after uh, oneself, and how important it is in our faith and. And we're just going to then talk about one of the Ten Commandments of the Initiation of Bat. And also in the first hour, we did speak a little bit about the Jalsa Salana, the annual gathering that takes place every year, which is kind of coined as the international one because it's attended by more than a from people from more than 100 countries and nearly and more than 40,000 people. But mm. His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, who is the current leader of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, resides in the United Kingdom. So it's kind of become the mm. international kind of become, one. Yeah, yeah. And on that day, uh, sorry, over the weekend, 
on Sunday, we have this international uh, initiation process yes. where many people join the fold of the community. So one of the conditions that we want to talk about is the second one that um, we shall keep away from falsehood, cruelty, adultery, dishonesty and disorder and rebellion of every kind of evil. So we're going to exactly, delve yeah. deeper into this, aren't we? We've got yeah. some fantastic audio clips that we want to share with you mm. as well mm. which we will will pray uh, which we will which we will play for you and they will probably do a much better version of it than what we <laughs> will be able yeah. to do so just before we introduce the, the, the first clip what i wanted to say is that obviously we are from the Ahmadiyya muslim community yes and uh, on december the 1st of 1988 um the promised messiah who founded the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. It'll be 1888 then, isn't it? Yeah, in 1888, he published an announcement that God has ordained him that whomsoever seeks the true faith and piety should take back, pledge allegiance to him so that Allah may shower his mercy and, and beneficence on him. Right. And then on January the 12th of 1889, he published the pamphlet in which he laid down the ten commandments of right. the bat yeah. for the initiation into the Jamaat. And into and in his pamphlet, he made all the list of, of all of the Ten Commandments. But we're going to be talking, talking about, about the, the second, second one. one. Yeah, so do you want to just explain well. that second one to us then? Yeah, so just yeah. like you mentioned, it's, it's, it is basically that as well. I mean, the first condition that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, because yeah. we're doing a series of the, the Ten Conditions yeah. of Bed as well. So the first condition was about sort of staying away from shirk, associating partners with God. And uh, and and we you know sort of the different things which that entailed as well. And this uh, in our show today, we're talking about the second condition, and that is that he or she, whoever wants to become part of the community, mm. shall keep away from falsehood. Now, there's a, there's a list of different vices yeah. that a person is going to stay away from. Uh, try his or her best to stay away from. Absolutely. So the first uh, vice is falsehood. Then it's fornication or adultery, trespass of the eye, debauchery dissipation cruelty dishonesty mischief and rebellion and that he or she will not permit himself or herself to be carried away by passions however strong they may be now what's mentioned over here are nine kinds of sins or vices um, in this particular condition which is the second condition and that the initiate or you know who anyone who, who wants to become part of the community um which has, which is, you know, which belongs to the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, upon whom be peace, should try his or her best to avoid all of these different sins as well. And just before we actually get into falsehood, because there, as I mentioned, there are nine kinds of sins, right, which I mentioned over mm. here. I'm not sure if we'll be able to go through each or all of them, yeah. but. Because the first thing or the first vice which has been mentioned over here is about falsehood, right? And just like you mentioned, we've got a few audio clips of His Holiness, the, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, as has been Zatahir Ahmad, may Allah have mercy on him, talking about falsehood as well, talking about different aspects of falsehood and why that's not allowed uh, in Islam. Um, because a lot of people would say that, oh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, actually allowed us to, you know, to, to so that you can tell a lie if if you're in a time of difficulty. But that is definitely not the case. And His Holiness actually explains that in the audio clips that we'll play for you guys as well. But just before we go into that, um, th there's something that we need to remember as well. We spoke a little bit about it. We touched upon this in the first hour, that you should like for your brother 
what you uh, like for yourself. So there's another audio clip which will speak a little bit more about that. Let's listen to let's listen to that one right now. I'm quoting one hadith uh, mm-hmm. which is in Urdu. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you kindly explain because this small hadith covers a lot of ground. What? This small hadith covers a lot of ground. Yes. Hazrat Ans Razi Allah Ta'ala Anahu Se Rawayat Hai Ke Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ne Irshad Farmaya Qasam Us Zat Paak Ki Jis Ke Qabza Me Meri Jaan Hai Koi Banda Satcha Mohmin Nahi Ho Sakta Jab Tak Apne Musulman Pai Ke Liye Wohi Na Chahe Jo Apne Liye Chahta Hai there is a lot of uh, importance in this hadith, spiritually and physically. Yes. Could you kindly explain, please? You explain. <laughs> I'd like to know. What is caught your eye? Tell me. It is, uh, for average person, it is very impracticable, really. This is uh, the way I was thinking. I explain, further explain. Uh, supposing I have only a small car. Yes. I cannot afford to give similar car to my brother. Yes. I cannot but still you this. can desire. What does this say? Does it say you part with your property and give it to your brothers? Uh, it doesn't, but... Uh, Read it again. First translate it into English and then we'll discuss it later on. Could you please translate it? No, no, no. <laughs> That's your job. Qasam uzzat paak ki jiski kabza mein meri jaan hai Satcha mohmin nahi ho sakta No, no, translate it bit by bit Otherwise it will be difficult for you to do it Individual cannot become a perfect believer Yes Unless he prefers exactly same thing for others What he prefers for himself So, still you can't prefer for others the same Desire in fact this is In spiritual life it's easier to no, no, why Prefer- can't you desire others to have the same car as yours? I mean, I can't understand this problem at all. If you are happy with your car, then, uh, then I mean, not, the, not if you are fed up with your car. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, sir, but uh, could you kindly explain this further? Pardon? Could you kindly explain this? I have explained. <laughs> oh, I see. So that was our beloved fourth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Dair Ahmed. May Allah be pleased with him, where he used to have hundreds and, and so many sessions of question-answer sessions um, throughout his uh, term as the fourth Khalifa of the community. And one one of them was uh, this Q&A about this question. And he so eloquently and lovingly kind of described the answer and those who listen to it would obviously understand what it meant by wanting to desire someone. You can't effectively go and buy everything for everybody around the world. But if your heart so much desires goodness for others and especially your brother or your family, then God Almighty will hopefully answer your prayers and let them have it because we are not in control of everything that we have, but obviously we can desire it. And it's a a beautiful kind of Q&A, although it was a very short two-minute kind of clip, but you got a sense of how loving the fourth Khalifa was and how he loved his community and how beautifully he spoke to them. And also very similar to the current Caliph, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, who is the fifth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya community. May Allah be his helper. So we'll we'll just move on from that because we are talking about the second condition of of bad and which, as you mentioned, 
earlier. Uh, it is very important that I'll read it to you again. It says that he or she shall keep away from falsehood, fornication, adultery, trespass of the eye, debauchery, dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief and rebellion, and that he will not permit himself, herself, to be carried away by passion, however strong they might be. And these nine kinds of sins are mentioned in this condition, and it's part of the other conditions uh, which are there, which are in total of 10. But when you kind of reflect so much of what's happening around the world today, and you see the destruction of people's homes, people's buildings, schools, medical centres, everything, and all these uh, proxy wars that are taking around the world, uh, and, uh, and they are creating so much problem where people's livelihoods are being completely destroyed. And we have other situations where, where people in, in the height of passion end up doing things that they regret for their whole life. And obviously, the relationships between one another in so many aspects is is suffering to an extent where even families are breaking up and the trust there is completely gone through the dishonesty and the mischief and then people are then rebelling against that again so in this condition it's being it's asking of its members to basically curtail all of those and try and come with within the condition and not um, commit these sins. And it's so important that we understand that. And if we kind of discuss the first one, we'll go through all of them. But I do want to play some audio clips uh, about the various things. But so in terms of falsehood, we know that this is one of the greatest of evils and and therefore it has also been shunned as well. So it says in Surah Al-Hajj, uh, chapter 22, verse 31, shun therefore the abomination of idols and shun false speech. Uh, it's kind of very self-explanatory, but when, when the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was asked about the advice, for a person because he was suffering from many weaknesses and did not think that he could leave all of them at once. So the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, told him this. He said, promise that you will always speak the truth and will never tell a lie. I mean, it's quite a straightforward answer, isn't it? Always speak the truth and never tell a lie. But just by adopting the path of truthfulness, he was able to be freed from all of his sins one by one. And when the, whenever he thought about committing a sin or he thought that he were caught up in, in something that wouldn't probably be a good situation for him, he would then present himself before the Holy Prophet Muhammad and may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him because he had promised to him that not to tell a lie. And if he were to speak the truth, he might then be humiliated or punished. And gradually, by following this process and reiterating, he gradually was freed from all of his sins and obviously, and his falsehood, and, and obviously the root of all of his evils was done. So it's an easy one to be able to try and adopt uh, for someone to understand that they can do it. But it's an iteration. It's a process. It's not something that will probably happen overnight. I mean, if it does, you're very fortunate. But if it's uh, a gradual um, uh, 
path you take on, then eventually you will be able to be freed from all of your sins. Um, and then there was this um, a thing related by Hadrat Abdullah bin Amir bin Alas. Um, may Allah be pleased with him. He also related that the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that whosoever has the following four characteristics is a real hypocrite and whosoever has one of these characteristics has an element of hypocrisy unless he leaves that habit and these are when he speaks he tells a lie and his speech is mangled with falsehood and utters falsehood and then when he makes a contract he breaks it and when he makes a promise, he breaks it. And when he argues, he starts using foul language. So these things, you can start understanding a little bit more about this kind of conditions of falsehood that we really need to try and curtail with ourselves. So there was another thing where Hadrat Imam Malik, Malik, be pleased with him, relates that I've heard that the Hadrat Abdul bin Masood used to say that adopt truthfulness because truthfulness leads towards virtue and virtue leads to paradise. Avoid falsehood because falsehood leads to disobedience and disobedience conveys one to hell. Do you know that it is said that such and such spoke the truth and and obeyed or that he lied and was involved in sin. So all of these things are really important. So what I wanted to do was to play an audio clip for you from the fourth Khalifa to try and understand these aspects a little bit more and in general of the bat. Here you are. So the first uh, question is that uh, truth and uh, good will definitely triumph. And that's what always uh, uh, has happened. Uh, but we find that uh, in the present world, evil and uh, falsehood is predominant. And uh, because of its predominance, a lot of uh, innocent people are uh, being victimized who would uh, become the very dedicated and devoted uh, worshippers of God Almighty. Uh, how would you explain this dilemma which mankind is facing today. Uh, on the one hand, <clears throat> we are sure that uh, truth will triumph and the time will come for it. On the other hand, we see a lot of these innocent people being victimized by all these uh, evil forces. The question you have raised is a very profound philosophical question which has always been agitating the human mind. It does not just relate to religion alone. It relates to just the human issue itself as to what we are, why we have been created, what is all around us, why suffering, why misery, why crime. And uh, will there be a golden age that some philosophers have foreseen where man will emerge ultimately into light? These are the issues which are directly related to the question you have raised. And uh, in my opinion, first of all, the premise has to be analyzed. Without that, just by going by slogans, this issue can never be resolved. For instance, you said truth will prevail, we know. 
But what does it mean? How does the truth prevail? Why, why do, do we see that every time the truth seems to be established, immediately dark, darkness yeah. and evil seems to creep upon it from all sides until it almost entirely covers it? So what is this phenomenon? Why should we go on making the slogan and telling the whole world the evil, the spirit, or the truth must prevail and the evil will be dispelled? This is not right. We must be truthful, otherwise the truth will not prevail anyway. So in the analysis of the situation, we must realize one thing, that uh, the efforts that is to say, religious efforts which began with prophets and uh, great or minor, but they always began with prophets, did overcome the resistance of the evil to a degree that they were created to, they were able to create small islands of truth and goodness. But for how long? This is the question. Altogether, Very soon after the demise of prophets, prophets and the first generation or two, the darkness seemed to creep upon back. So what is darkness and what is truth? Unless you f- deeply analyze these issues and understand the phenomenon, you simply can't give any verdict about it. To me, disorder is darkness, and order and discipline is truth. And it is wrong to say that order prevails in the sense that it always spreads and destroys disorder so completely that it can never return. We don't see this happening in the world. The scheme of things is completely different. You, it takes an effort to make order. And it takes a greater and prolonged effort to maintain it. Otherwise, the time is in favor of disorder. The natural forces work against order and, and, and human efforts and their achievements. So all the buildings you make, what happens to them? They're going to decay unless the work of repair is carried out faster than the defacing hand of time. If left to time, then everything, whatever you create, however beautiful it may be, will ultimately be turned into ruins. So this is a philosophy we learn from the scheme of God's things. Any claim to the contrary by religious people is, is false. So in the light of this, when you study the Holy Quran and how the f- struggle between evil and goodness began, and what was the verdict of God which he gave in answer to the questions raised by Mephisto, or whatever name you call it by, but Satan it was. Yes. Then you understand that there is no such thing as evil being completely dispelled forever and truth prevailing forever. No such image is given by the Quran at all. It's On the contrary, it creates an image whereby Satan is given a free license to work against truth, to mislead the servants of God, his creation. 
till the end of the time. And what Satan uh, challenges God and which has not been rejected as such, that is, that the challenge is that I will lead most of your servants away and you will find them not grateful at all. Permit me to do it till the end of the time and then you will see if I am superior or this Adam whom you prefer over me. Apparently very logical question. But the answer is very profound and it admits at the same time that majority will be on your side. So instead of rejecting this claim that he will gain ascendancy over most of the servants of God, Allah rectifies the question in only a small point. Allah tells them, they will not be my servants whom you lead away. They will be creations, of course, but don't give them a wrong name. Please, come in, please. They will not be my servants. As far as my servants go, you will have no ascendancy whatsoever over them. And what will belong to you, I will not interfere, I will not forcibly take it back. But my servants will never be misled by you. So this is the meaning of prevailing of truth, if at all there is any meaning to it. And that indicates that truth is not uh, an imaginary something which continues to prevail without any object through which it is reflected. So those who believe in God at the hands of the prophets of God, that generation who know them, they are not only loyal, they withstand all the pressures to the contrary. They offer their honor, their, they sacrifice their properties, life, whatever it is, but this hold fast to truth. It is there that the truth prevails, not in numbers, yes. but in quality and in a, in a representation of minority against majority. It has never happened that the majority of mankind has been turned into good people, nor was it ever a design of God. When freedom is granted to evil forces to what, do whatever they may, then this was a logical conclusion that most of mankind should have been uh, led away by evil forces because to try to understand it with the help of some natural phenomenon will, will be a good uh, cause, an advisable cause. Otherwise, history is very delicate and philosophical. Without the help of some illustrations, we can't fully understand it. What is the gravitational pull? It's a very powerful pull. Unless something is, with effort, uh, kept at a level higher than the gravitational pull would like to draw that something, unless constant effort is applied to keep that something 
away at a distance from earth, the earth will ultimately predominate. It's impossible to continue to fight on against the gravitational pull because it's a downward, downhill force. And the downhill force, which is predominant and which prevails over everything, has nothing to exult about. Because this is a natural law which works and to be pulled downward is but expected to go work against that downward pull and to be able to maintain that uh, height you gain. That is laudable. That is where the truth does prevail. Because every force is against the truth. All the circumstances collude to destroy truth. And when, despite this, the truth prevails in the sense it retains itself, maintains itself, and in whomsoever it is reflected, those people are the symbol of truth, in fact. And they are never overwhelmed by, by darkness. That is one meaning of prevailing of truth, and that is one meaning of the scheme of things as we have seen unfolded by God through messengers and the people they created. There is another meaning to it, which so many times people ignore to, to see. As a general rule, they do observe that after every uh, transient period of the victory of truth, which begins with the dawn of prophethood, it soon disappears. And then we see darkness creeping from all around and retaking its lost territories. Apparently this is what we see. But a deeper examination would reveal a different picture. What is gained by truth is never altogether lost. They have a higher level of decency is created in human affairs, which is uh, which may sink back to the original depths, but not altogether, not quite. An example of Islam can be quoted, which is so misunderstood most often by people or casual observers. When Hazrat Muhammad Rasulullah worked upon the people of Arabia, after his demise, everything seemed to be lost again. People returned back to their uh, tribal prejudices and infights and bloodshed of each other. and It seems all the chaos returned. But that is in comparison to what Hazrat Muhammad Rasulullah had achieved. The level of that achievement was so high that when he left, his gradual sinking back in the direction of old was what makes this most terrible and tragic contrast. But they never sank to that original depth from which Muhammad had taken them up and lifted them. Even the worst things which happened after the demise of Muhammad were comparatively good and better to the pre-Islamic state of the Arabia. There was so much knowledge, so much love, so much sacrifice, individual or community islands of goodness. 
which remained resistant to the onslaught of, of, of darkness. So to tell, to say that everything was lost is just a casual observation. It has no truth, no substance. Each prophet who works on mankind leaves them at a high level. After his demise, they begin to sink back, but never back to the old level. And if you study the civil history of civilization, you'll be surprised to learn which most sociologists ignore intentionally or unintentionally, that in the building of civilization, religion has placed the, played the most important role and most, most substantial role. Whatever Christian values are seen in England, they, are, they, they owe themselves to Christianity. And whatever Western values have predominated, they are the values which uh, are misunderstood in the name of Christianity. They are not Christian values at all. It is those values which are crea creating disturbances and unhappiness. But the true Christian values, if you bring them back to the British society, will transform the nature of this society and a heaven can be born out of hell. So civilization, if you study at, with a deep analytical attitude, you will be found to be a blessing bestowed by religions. And when the religions passed away or were ultimately changed, still that level of decency left behind was higher than the previous level. So now we, for instance, now we, at this time, we witness cruelty, suffering, as you just mentioned. Suffering in Bosnia, suffering here, suffering there, in our country, here, yeah. elsewhere. But imagine what the meaning of suffering was at 200 years before. What despotism meant only 70 or 80 years before in the communist regime of Russia. And what despotism means today in Russia. There's difference of, of poles of east and west between the two. So one should be realistic in one's analysis. Truth has never been beaten back altogether. It has continued to improve the quality of human life and human behavior. Though that idealistic level has not been maintained. It was attempted to be maintained by the prophets of God, but it was too high for humans to retain. But that society which was transformed, that did maintain it. So these are the two meanings of how truth prevails in answer to your question, please. What fantastic and inspiring words in answer to the questions about how truth can prevail. And we can experience it if we look at the history of mankind, even from where it started to where it is today. Uh, there is a level of truthfulness and honesty where we haven't fallen back to uh, stages in our lives where cruelty and inhumane acts used to take place. So, yes, a wonderful, inspirational answer there from the fourth 
head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. May Allah be pleased with him for that answer. We'll be listening to him again uh, in another kind of answer as well to be able to learn from him as well. So I did say we probably won't get through all of the conditions of the second but but we have touched on falsehoods, um, and also what I wanted to just talk a little bit about this this second part of it is um, keeping away from adultery, and this is something also mentioned in the Holy Quran, chapter seventeen, verse thirty-three. And come not near unto adultery; surely it is a foul thing and an evil way. And the promised Messiah, may Allah be pleased with him, states that do not go near adultery. And that is to say that avoid all occasions that create the thought in your mind. Avoid all the ways of carrying a risk of getting involved in the sin. Whoever commits adultery goes to the limit of the evil. Adultery is a very evil way. It stops you from reaching your true objective and carries major risks in it. He who is unable to get married should try to maintain his chastity in other ways. For instance, he should keep fast or reduce his food intake or should do hard physical work. And this was in Islami Usul, Usuliki philosophy of the teachings of Islam Rahoni uh, Kazayin, volume 10, page 342. And just before I play the next clip, the Promised Messiah also said that he admonished to stay away from things that lead to adultery. Sometimes, you know, these days the youth ignore this matter and they get used to watching films that are not necessarily fit to be seen and that they are beneath the good moral standards and we should avoid them uh, because that is also a form of adultery. So now I did want to play the last clip uh, which will be uh, for about 20 minutes and then probably we'll end the show just there. Then. Thank you very much. The Holy Prophet mentioned that uh, Lying was permissible in three cases. Huh? One was in making peace between enemies. He, uh, uh, now I understand. You, you, you mean he referred to Hazrat Ibrahim? You, you perhaps mean that he referred to Hazrat Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam. No, sorry, sorry. Hazrat Muhammad sallallahu I know. Yeah. But the tradition you are referring to, yeah. the only tradition which is found in this subject is the one which I am telling you now. So that must have been uh, what you read somewhere and you have forgotten what it was. Because no. the tradition on these, <coughs> on the lies, question of lies, mm. is the only one which I have just referred to about Hazrat Ibrahim wasalam. Otherwise, Hazrat has never permitted Muslims anywhere, not even remotely, to indulge in lies of any sort. I was wondering if perhaps the tr in the translation the word lying was an no, exaggeration. I'm telling you, I'm just explaining to you. Number one, the tradition you think is there is not there. There is no such tradition which permits the Muslims to indulge in lies under any circumstances. That is out of all question. So. Perhaps what I you have read, I I, yes, exactly, this is what I'm telling you, what you have read is a different tradition and that tradition is also debatable. 
it is said in bukhari there is one tradition which tells us that ahadr sallallahu alaihi wasallam once said that hazrat ibrahim alaihi salatu wassalam lied three times in his life and he mentioned those so called lies and uh, the explanation for that is number one some scholars tend to believe that this is one of the israelites traditions which is called in islamic terminology israiliyat <coughs> sometimes ahadr sallallahu alaihi wasallam quotes an an israeli tradition telling the muslims that this is what they believe in and uh, one who listens to this forgets about the situation which was being described and he under falsely believes that this was ahadr sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself telling this uh, giving this narration as if it happened like this so there is not only one instance there are so many others where ahadr sallallahu alaihi wasallam is known to have related a, a tradition by the jews as it was prevalent in medina in those days and that tradition he mentioned by way of jewish views and jewish beliefs that was unfortunately adopted by the by either the listener who, who first heard it or maybe later on in the future generations it was adopted as such secondly there is a large volume of such traditions which are not traditions at all in fact uh, islam was later on infiltrated by the jews who intentionally and consciously added into the world of tradition planted things here and there and their own views were thus introduced into the islamic wealth of literature so the scholars even the earlier scholars also agree to it that this was one source of tradition which was perhaps uh, sifted very thoroughly by certain scholars like hazrat imam bukhari and most of those such traditions were rejected but some others less uh, responsible or less precautious people um admitted the admitted those traditions and they were turned into a part of islamic literature i think i, I read this in uh, riyadh salihin riyadh salam but the one in riyadh salihin is the one which i have just mentioned yes. it doesn't say that now because hazrat imam bukhari accepted it so this tradition in particular presented much greater difficulties for the muslim scholars than the other traditions related by uh, lesser people than imam bukhari so the explanation for that has been given by me in one of my sermons delivered in rabwa a few years 2 3 years ago in which this particular aspect was made the subject of the sermon and i explained in detail what was the style of hazrat sallallahu alaihi wasallam and what message it, it carried in fact all those three instances which have been quoted are not lies at all but this is what i would yes i think together they are not lies this is how hazrat sallallahu alaihi wasallam explained the false allegations about hazrat ibrahim alaihi salatu wasallam
what he meant to say was that look here, these are the lies, that is the so-called lies, quote-unquote, which are attributed to Ibrahim And the way he has explained those things, those situations, they are apparently not lies. For instance, I mean, there is a way of argumentation. For instance, one relating to uh, the, the idols, when they were uh, shattered by Hazrat Ibrahim and that is also mentioned in the Holy Quran and the other one is also mentioned in the Holy Quran which I am going to quote after this. It is said that Hazrat Ibrahim and this is a fact, I mean this is not a Jewish tradition alone, it has been fully um, authenticated by the Holy Quran. He broke the idols and after he broke the idols he left one chief idol who was the supreme god according to them. And when the people came and heard or learned of the news, they came in, in you know, in, in large numbers to find out what had happened. But let me see, before that, a few people entered, not all of them together, but that had happened later on. When they came and inquired Hazrat Ibrahim who kept standing there waiting for some people to arrive. He didn't want to escape punishment at all. That is what he did and kept waiting for someone to arrive. When the first person, whoever it was, it is said that he, it was his uncle, he arrived and he asked what had happened to who broke these idols. So the answer according to the Holy Quran was here is the chief. Ask him if they speak. So now, the point is, if Hazrat Ibrahim was telling a lie, it was to escape punishment. So why did he stand there waiting, remain there waiting for them to come? Now his, his remark was in fact Number to two, point out the he truth. wanted to show the absurdity of the situation. He wanted to prove to them and demonstrate to them that these people do not lie, now do not speak. They are lifeless people, lifeless things. And as such, it's meaningless to worship them. And obviously, those who believe that what is meant was that he has broken, this is a lie. That is obviously wrong. Yes. Why it is wrong? Because even if, I mean, the allegation of lie to this statement is wrong, that is what I mean to say. Even if we accept this, that the words he used did not indicate, ask him, he is there for you to answer, but it, they indicated, they could mean both, that he is the one who broke them. Ask them, if you please. I am sorry, yes, just a minute. The word is used in plural, so this is the only possible explanation uh, which uh, now I stand corrected here. Now I remember the full verse. The word is used plural. Hazrat Ibrahim responded by saying, ask them if they speak. So this situation is interpreted in two ways. Number one, Kabiruhum Haza the eldest among them is here. 
whatever was done was done in his presence. Ask them if they speak. That is the ones who were broken and shattered to pieces. This is exactly what he said. The two interpretations are that what he meant was that the Kabiru Humhaza, the eldest among them, is here. He has killed them. He has destroyed them. Ask them if they speak. The second explanation is this, that he, what he said was, the eldest remains intact. He is present before you. Ask them what may have happened. Now, this doesn't read full sense. What does he mean? Why doesn't he say, ask him if he speaks? What he says is, ask them who are being shattered if they speak. So by that it means, it, it is obvious that number one, he is pointing to the death of gods which they couldn't believe. That gods cannot be destroyed. And yet he says, ask them if they speak. The point is, as I have understood, which I, although I didn't mention this in that sermon, but now I am going to tell you in rather uh, more detail. The only plausible explanation is this, that those who worshipped idols, in fact, did not worship those idols as such. They worshipped some imaginary powers behind them. The idols were only symbols. So, this was the weakness of their belief which was being pointed out by Hazrat Ibrahim Because it is so illogical to believe that somebody has shattered the, shattered the gods into pieces, one remains intact, yet Hazrat Ibrahim does not refer to the one who is intact, but refers to the ones who are shattered as if they are killed. This is their death and the, uh, demands that if you want to make an inquiry, ask them. Why not ask him? So the explanation, as I have understood, is this, that because idols were worshipped as symbols, and they were supposed to be paths behind them, and those symbols were so many, hundreds of thousands perhaps, belonging to one so-called power as deity, so if one is destroyed, that doesn't mean the deity is also destroyed because such symbols are so many in numbers, spread all over uh, the country. So what he wants to point out is this, that if this big idol has killed, has done this, of course he will not admit. Why should he profess? The only people who would speak against him would be these, who have been done, undone. And because you believe that there are powers, living powers behind them, so they should answer you. Now they have been insulted, they have been destroyed, I mean their symbols have been. So this is the right time. If they ever speak, they should speak now and let you know. Now this is exactly what might have happened. There is no other plausible explanation to this. And this is not a lie. This is a way of argumentation to establish the falsehood of their claim. And to tell them that this is what you believe in, believe in. This is all rotten. And all the time he knew that they wouldn't, even if he had claimed that 
this elder one has broken them, they won't admit, they won't, they won't agree, they won't accept this uh, explanation. <coughs> now, here in my sermon which I refer to, I first defined what a lie is. And when you define the lie properly, then all these lies are, so-called so lies are solved immediately. When, for instance, uh, a child plagues her, his mother and bothers her with so many questions and says, who took this, who took this, uh, where is my, uh, for instance, uh, my hockey, show me where is my hockey. And the mother says, I have eaten it. It's so, time, so many times happens. Is it a lie? Why not? Because a lie is a misstatement of facts with an intention to deceive the hearer and to make it appear to, to him as a fact which he could swallow, he could, which, which he could accept. This is the full definition of a lie. If these conditions are not present, then the lie can be turned into an argument instead of a lie. A way of a strong expression and strong condemnation, which is not a lie at all. So, if this is this explanation, this definition is to correct, and in my opinion, this this is the only definition to a lie which holds water and which explains every other human situation. In that case, his other so-called lies are also not lies, because at one time he says. He sees a star and says, this is my God. And when the star sets, he said, oh, it has set and it couldn't be God. So, it was not only a lie, but also idolatry. In the second case, he says, this is, this moon, the moon, this is a bigger one. And uh, perhaps this is the God. And then the moon sets and says, oh, it has set, so the setting ones are not my gods, couldn't be gods. Then he says, the sun and so on and so forth. Now, if these are taken as lies, what would be the explanation of Hazrat Ibrahim having observed all the, ph the phenomena of sunset, and a star rising and setting, moon rising and setting, sun rising and setting, all through his life, why didn't he know that these, these things set? They rise and set, come and go. So obviously, it was not the first for the first time that it dawned upon him that the star had risen and set, the moon had risen and set. It was only an argumentation, nothing more than that. To establish the fact, first to tantalize them. Oh, yes, as if it is wrong, it's beautiful. To take carry them along for a while and then to frustrate their hopes that he is being converted. So, this is why Hazrat Ibrahim salam, has been uh, given a great compliment in the Holy Quran, that he was a master debater. When he said this, kafar. he didn't left anything for the opponent to argue later on, after that. So, this is the style of Hazrat Ibrahim salam, the way he used to argue things. You know the non-Muslim, non-Ahmadi scholars, they believe that this was a lie, this was an idolatry, and every time he saw, this is exactly what they believe in. Every time they saw the star setting or the moon setting and the sun setting, he rectified himself and said, all right, now God, I, I repent what I have believed in and now I stand rectified. 
this true, this is wrong. But the explanation, listen at the explanation, which is just a joke. I mean, one can't imagine how a sane man could believe in that explanation. Once I read and this in a book which is now being taught in Pakistani schools as well, <coughs> about Hazrat Ibrahim Wasalam. Uh, this was, I think, written by some Karachi lady. I'm not sure where it's being taught in the schools, but I saw it in the hands of children. I mean, this was very popular with the children of non-Ahmadi children in Pakistan. And this, these, there is a series of books about prophets, and uh, Hazrat Ibrahim Salam, as you mentioned, I mean, made the subject of in one of the books. You know, it says that this is exactly how it happened, but you would raise, the question would be raised in your mind that where he was earlier, why didn't he see a star before? Why was he surprised at the star setting? He said the answer is that when he was born, immediately his uncle knew that this is going to be a prophet. And because he was afraid that he would destroy the, the, the idol worship, so he imprisoned him in a cave. And it was all light was shut to that cave. And until he grew grew to majority, became adult, he was kept imprisoned in that cave. He had never seen a star rising or setting or moon rising or setting and so on. So the moment he came out, it was night. And immediately he started debating this. And because he wanted to have believe in a God, so he said, oh, oh now I've got all this, these years, you know, poor thing was kept away from the starlight and moonlight and sunlight. And this, uh, all this, uh, you know, jargon is being fed into the children's minds in Pakistan nowadays in this age of light. So, unfortunately for us, we have been relieved by Hazrat Nasim Aghirastatwasalam and... Uh, ushered from darkness to light. So though it, they are yet named lies by Wasallam, but not without inverted commas. What he means to say is that these are the lies of a prophet which the Jews attribute to him. But they are not lies at all. They are gems of argumentation. <coughs> 